Well, good morning. Happy New Year. So I caught you on that one, didn't I? Yeah. Well, it's just about New Year. The church's New Year begins next week, right? So we're all the way at the end of year A in our three-year lectionary cycle. And every year on this day, last Sunday of the, the year, we have readings that talk about Jesus being the King of kings and the Lord of lords over all creation. So today is Christ the King Sunday. And we welcome you here because we're going to be preparing for the King to come on Christmas Day, right? So the Advent's going to be a season of preparation for the, the coming of the King. But also in his second coming, well, he will come again to judge the living and the dead, to judge evil and to set all things right in the world again. So happy Christ the King Day. We've got three things I want to look at today. First of all, uh, the human longing for a king. We desire that king to come back and set the world right again. We know it's not right right now. We need a king to do that. So we long for the king. But there's another part of human nature is that we reject the king. So we have this love-hate kind of thing going on with kings, don't we? Particularly in America. The third thing, though, is an invitation. The invitation to kiss the king. To kiss the son, the king of kings, and the lord of lords. Come into a, a heartfelt love relationship with the king of all creation. And I want to look at that through this precious little psalm, psalm number two. So if you have your Bibles, particularly helpful if it's the ESV, because the other Bibles are a little bit different. Uh, but uh, we're going to look at Psalm 2, way back in the Old Testament. And as you're turning there, you will know uh, that this is a messianic song. It's a psalm about a Messiah in the line and lineage of David who would not be the direct offspring of David. He would be the offspring of God himself. So the authority of God would rest on this king, and his power would be unequaled, and his majesty unimaginable, and his glory everlasting. Look at verses 7 and 8 and see that. The Lord, this is Yahweh, said to the king, you are my son. Today, I've begotten you. Ask anything of me, God says, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Hmm, that's interesting, isn't it? Now, how many monarchs, kings, or great Caesars of the world have ever had the entire ends of the earth as their possession? How many have had all the nations as their heritage? Probably only one, the true king sent from heaven. You know, if you ask a kid in, in uh, fourth grade Sunday school a question, 99% of the time the answer to the question is Jesus. I don't care what the question is, it's Jesus. <laughs> so if you ask yourself what Psalm 2 is about, it's Jesus, okay? So Psalm 2 is a coronation psalm. The Lord's anointed is coming, and he is begotten from God. Remember in the creed we just read, begotten, not made, not created, but begotten. So this is the coronation and in verse 6, look what happens. God lifts him up on the holy hill of Zion. He ascends the throne in glory to reign over all the nations of the earth. Paul says in Acts 13 and Romans 1 and today in Ephesians that this is pointing to King Jesus here. But we've had that love relationship with kings, as I mentioned. Sometimes we, we want a king, but earthly kings oftentimes become tyrants. Their yoke becomes heavy. 
They oppress with violence the people under them. As one writer put it, as he wrote to an Anglican bishop in the 19th century, power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? You know that phrase. Remember, that's the history of the Bible, the kings in the Bible. Remember, there was this time before the kings that they had judges, and the judges would adjudicate disputes among the people, but they weren't kings. They had one king, Yahweh, the Lord God who reigned over the universe. But the people, it says, and Samuel, they cried out to Samuel, make a king for us that will judge us like other nations. And Samuel, the priest, steps back and says, guys, you don't know what you're asking. The kings of this earth rule with tyranny and violence and oppression. You don't know what you're asking. But they kept on going, and God finally says, all right, Samuel, make for them a king. And God says in Samuel, for they have not rejected you, Samuel, they've rejected me, that I should reign over them. They've rejected my kingship. God, later on in that same chapter, says, there's going to be a time when they're going to cry out from, for relief from their kings, but it will be too late. You know, you almost get the picture of a young child who keeps wanting to touch the hot stove, and daddy or mama keeps pulling them back and pulling them back, and finally, you're like, you give up. You just let them touch the stove and see what the, the heat's all about. That seems like God. God says they're going to cry out for relief, and it'll be too late. And it happened, didn't it? After Solomon... The two empires of the north and the south of Israel and Judah divided. They would have 32 kings, six of which were said to be kind of good or decent. The other 32 did what, the other ones did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. A whole rash of evil kings came from, from that desire to not have God as the king. But we sometimes still make our own kings, don't we? I remember when Obama was running for, for the White House, he ran on a hope and a change that if he had authority and he had power, then America would have hope and a change. And here Trump, he ran on, make America great again. Everybody wants a great nation. But none of these earthly people in authority can do what only King Jesus can do. The problem is they never can fix the world for us. Only King Jesus can fix the world. And yet we have this strange fascination for kings, don't we? If you were anything like me, you read uh, maybe King Arthur when you were younger, and the idea was that he would build this utopian Camelot where everybody would live happily ever after. Remember the Lord of the Rings? I love those books. It was all about the, the great king of the north that was going to come in and fix everybody's problems and eradicate evil in fact, in that book it says he would have the hands of a healer. And yet none of these can heal like Jesus. C.S. Lewis talked about these myths, these stories, these fictional stories where we have a king that sets things right again. He said, you know why we have that? He said, because inside of us is a romantic longing for somebody who will fix everything in the world. He said, it's almost like coded DNA deep within the heart that knows that there's a king, a perfect king, sent from God, and he's going to restore the broken creation. I think he's right. Isn't that what Psalm 2 is about? The love for this king, the longing for his coming, the longing for him to put things right. And yet, point number two, we in our human nature hate the king. 
Look at verse 3. The other kings of this world begin to take counsel against the Lord's anointed one. And it says in verse 3 and all the way up to 4 that they conspired against the Lord. Now why would that be? Well, here's the other part of human nature. We don't want to yield authority over to anybody, do we? These kings had a problem with the yoke that God was putting upon them. That there would be a greater king than even they were. It's part of our human nature. That if someone says, I own you, I control you, I submit to me, I'm the one in charge, we don't like that very much. In fact, Frank Sinatra wrote about that. I did it my way, right? I did it my way. I had a priest friend who said, yeah, that's the national anthem in hell. I did it my way. <laughs> we don't like to submit. Remember, if you ever had watched two little girls playing on the playground and one tries to assert authority over the other, uh, what, do, what do they say? It's classic. You are not the boss of me. <laughs> we don't like to have bosses. Jesus, when he becomes our Lord, it means submission and obedience and taking up our cross daily and following him to crucified places where we give ourselves fully over the lordship of the king. You see, we need a Messiah, and yet we want to control the shots sometimes. And we sometimes think we can live life without a king, but we can't. You're going to serve somebody. In fact, the Bible says that if you reject the true king, you'll find another king to rule over you. Bob Dylan in 1979 wrote a song about that. He said, you may be an ambassador to England or France. You might like to gamble. You might like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You might be a socialite with a long string of pearls, but you're going to serve somebody. He said, you may, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. And the Bible says if we reject the true king, we will set up another king to submit to. And for some of us, that may be a romantic relationship where we take an earthly person, we lift them up on the throne of our hearts, and we think that they're going to save us and make us happy. It, it could be somebody who pours out themselves into their business and is so identified that they become workaholics at that business, and they think that that identity is going to save them and make their lives happy ever after. Or it could be turning to, to drugs or alcohol or whatever deadening substance you bring to make you safe and satisfied and happy. So in this Christ the King Sunday, I ask you, who is your king? Who is your king? If you have Jesus plus something else on the throne of your heart, then King Jesus ain't your king. Jesus plus anything means Jesus is not your king. He said, you're to love me in such a way that your love for mother and sister and brother is going to look like hate compared to your love, submission, and devotion to me. Now, he's not saying hate your family. He's saying love me more. Love me more than anything else. Put me on the throne. Cre we create a hell for ourselves in our parenting, in our marriages, in our work life, when we put something else other than Jesus on the throne. And in verse 1 to 3, that's what was happening. The nations were raging, the peoples were plotting, the kings themselves wanted to cast off the, their bonds of the great king and cast away the cords. They did not like standing under in submission, even to the Son of God. 
So, number three, and this is, this is where it gets interesting because the gospel is counterintuitive. If you will shackle yourself to King Jesus, you'll have freedom. If you submit to his lordship, you're free indeed. In eight, John 8, 36, Jesus says, if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. One of Paul's great images of his relationship with Jesus, he calls himself a doulos, or a slave of Christ Jesus. And in that he found freedom. Romans 6, 22, Paul says, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the fruit you reap leads to holiness and the outcome is eternal life. All the other masters that we may choose, every other king that we may create is going to crush your soul in the end unless it's King Jesus. I think that's why he said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When you have him as Lord, you are free indeed. So, I think that there's also an invitation here for us. If we've allowed any other kings to creep onto the throne of our hearts, here it is. Look at verse 11. It says to serve the king. Serve King Jesus. you got to serve somebody. You might as well put him on the throne. Verse 12 goes on to say, kiss the king. Have a love relationship with the king where, where you love him more than anything else in your life. And if you do, the second part of verse 12 says, Blessed are all who take refuge in him, the king. Now he's a king, and it did say in the psalm that he would ascend a throne in Zion, but the throne that he ended up ascending was the cross of Calvary as he is lifted high in the air, as he bled for our sins, as he was a substitute for our sin on the cross, and as his blood became our righteousness, and in him we are purified. So it says, blessed are those who take refuge in the king. So I just call you those three things. Kiss the son, submit to him as not only your savior, that's important, but as your Lord as well. And in him, God's wrath is turned away, and you'll find refuge for your souls. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have sent King Jesus, that he will come again to reign over all the earth. All the ends of the earth will be his heritage, and he will set things right again. And so we long for that king. Help us even now to submit to his authority for our lives and follow him wherever he may lead us to take up our cross daily and follow King Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.